Last One to the Party, the podcast where we check in with someone who's checking out a classic film, long-running TV show, or legendary performer for the very first time. Welcome to this episode of Last One to the Party. We kind of are continuing from last week with one more episode about hotties. This time we're talking to B.J. Gallagher, an old friend, improviser uh, from New York. He and his wife have been friends of ours for a long time. He did some work with Neutrino's video project, as I also did way back in the day. We referenced uh, that in this discussion. He also was in Hotties. He was only in one scene, one or two scenes, and he tells the story of shooting in the bar that Rick also referred to, but uh, BJ kind of gets into more detail about it. So we talk about the travesty that is filming Hotties and what you do when you're young and dumb and improvising in New York in the early 2000s and trying to figure it out. So I hope you enjoy this episode of Last One to the Party. With Hotties, what was your first experience with it? How did it come to your attention? That's a really good question. I feel like it came from a couple of different sources. One of my best friends who is also in Hotties, John Armour, he had been in Lee Sobel's previous film, which I think is like Terror Marketers, I think. Sounds plausible. Sounds entirely possible. <laughs> Sounds in the universe, the Sobel universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's in the Sobelverse. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. He's already got that DM'd. But uh, yeah, I think I think John was like, I did a thing with this guy and, you know, like he's he's a good filmmaker, like you should do it. And then I feel like there was also maybe something on like the Improv Resource Center or something that was like somebody had put out to say like, this is an improv movie thing or something. I don't know. How did you find it? I, I don't know. I just remember that it was that thing of, oh, it's an improvised movie. I was like, I've been improvising for seven years at this point. <laughs> uh, I should audition for this. Yeah. And I was like the same, except for I've been improvising for two years <laughs> or whatever it was at that point. <laughs> yeah. But definitely John brought it to me and was like, was like, you need to do this thing. Like, this sounds perfect. And we just basically were at that like dumb actor in their 20s time where you're just like, I need credits. I need real things that I've done and put it on your resume. And, you know, who knows, some agent, some casting director is going to be like, that was, you were in that cool thing. That underground cult hit. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so I remember going, I remember going to it and uh, the audition was, I don't know what your experience was. My audition, I think, was in either his apartment or his friend's apartment in Brooklyn. And uh, I remember very quickly being in there and being like, this is not for me. <laughs> and yet? And yet I made the final cut of Hotties 2. <laughs> It was, uh, I, I, I was telling this to a friend recently um, because I feel like, how many years ago was it? 15 years ago? There was a solid 10 year moratorium where I was like, I did not do that film. I'm not talking about that film, except for with maybe James Eason and John Armour and John Cahill, people that I know personally who I can't run from that history, but every other person. <laughs> but the, uh, my audition was definitely. He was like, I don't know if it was the part I was went into play. I don't remember if he suggested it, what it was. But 
he it was essentially the part that I did end up playing, which was a hillbilly, as it was described to me. Um, and whatever that means to you and what it meant to me. And then I I went in and I was like, okay, I got a pretty good handle on how I would play that because I'm an improviser and I people would throw me characters all the time. So I started playing it in like, you know, a sophisticated way that I thought that that character would be played that would get some laughs. And then he was just like, yeah, I think you can go deeper with it. Like, I feel like that was like, he was using some kind of term like that where he was like deeper to the point where it was like, I, I would start another round of like improvising in the character and he would be like yelling at me and being like, like more go further, further, like just yelling, like as I'm in the scene, like side coaching style. And till I was just like a blubbering mess of like hillbilly, just like rolling at you. And then he was like, that's the guy <laughs> like whereas like I'm nailed at this point where I'm just basically like a blob of <laughs> a hillbilly rolling across the floor. And then he was like, he was like, yeah, so I think I want you to do this thing. Um, uh, if, if you want to do it, you got to sign a contract. It's $1. Do you remember that? I do. I pointed it out to Rick. He had complete. Rick had forgotten so much of this. Yeah. I think he, had, in a very mentally healthy way, shut it out of his mind. <laughs> right. But yeah, one dollar, which would not be paid. Right? Wasn't that it? No. He gave me one dollar in cash. In that moment. In that moment, and was like, "You sign a contract," and I signed the contract. And so I went home, and I was like, I felt I like I, I've never felt quite so much shame. When I walked out of that place, because I was like, the performance is not very good. And it is not the kind of thing that I want to be doing. And I remember going back and telling my friend John, who had already gotten cast in it, and being like, hey, man, I got this thing. And he's like, great. And then I went and I told Rebecca, my wife, and she she was in the world of like, hey, you just need to get, you know, some more credits and get some more stuff under your belt. So she was like, I was like, I have a bad feeling about this. I didn't do, I'm ashamed of what I did in the audition, you know, like, never mind what I'm going to do in the movie. And she was like, you got to push past that, you know, like, just go for it. It's more important that you do it and then you can forget about it afterwards. And I was like, oh, okay, but every part of my body says this is a bad thing. And uh, and then I just was like, I guess I just do it. And it was a nightmare. And so then what was the shooting experience like? What was it? You know, how many days did you shoot? Where did you shoot? I think my part is very small in the Hotties universe, but uh, I'm only in Hotties 2. Oh, no, I've I've they have a teaser of us at the end of Hotties 1, I think, if I remember correctly where we're like hitchhiking and the girls pick us up in a convertible or something like that. But I think I only did. Yeah. I I did two days, I think of shooting. And the one day was just us getting picked up on like the side of a road somewhere. I want to say some like, you know, warehousey area in Brooklyn. And then the second day was in New Jersey, my home state. I'm not proud to have done that in my home state. <laughs> you defiled your home state. <laughs> I defiled it so badly. In my home county even. But yeah, so basically the shooting experience was that that they were like, you know, uh, like you know that era in um 
in New York where, uh, I mean, maybe it's every era in New York, but I feel like there was an era for me in New York where it was like, you booked something like go up to 66th and Broadway at like 4.30 a.m. and there'll be a white van that picks you up. You know what I mean? And then you just got taken to a location to shoot something. So their version of that was take the path out to Newark and there'll be a white fan <laughs> to pick you up. And some guy picked me up in a van in Newark and drove me to some bar somewhere where I literally, I'm like, this is where I'm from. This is the area where I'm from. I could not tell you where I am right now. And so our shooting experience was, I say our because I always include uh, my friend John Cahill, who play, played my hillbilly brother in this, <laughs> because he and I, in that you know mental health way, have uh, have like gone over this several times. <laughs> like we've done, recycled that whole day and been like, here, the, here are the moments we could have gotten out. <laughs> here are all the opportunities we had to escape. Yeah, yeah. Here's when we knew it was wrong, and we knew we we needed to get out, and we just did, were too much cowards to do so. But uh, yeah, so they dropped us off at this bar and all we knew was it, it was a scene where we were going to a bar and the girls were going to pick us up or something, right? Or, or the girls took us to a bar and we had to try to like pick them up, you know, like as in like we're hillbillies trying to pick up city gals kind of business. And then we, we got to set that day and there were like a ton of female extras. And we're like, oh, okay. And so if you've seen the movie, you know that they're taking us to a lesbian strip club, <laughs> which just because the, the it's all women, they, it's, it's lesbian, but uh, I would just call it a strip club if that suffices. And, uh, and so we got there and we're like, they're pretty early. And there are a bunch of girls, really like fresh faced, sweet girls, like most of them. We're like, we, I just moved to New York and I got this job right away, you know, like that kind of thing. And uh, and so we were like kind of in this bar and we get to the bar and the, and the, like the actual bar was like a horseshoe shape uh, with like on the on the round side of the horseshoe was like a little dance floor and then a stage. And uh, at the horseshoe bar, like right at the edge of it was like a couple people just like having beers. And I was like, oh, like these extras are really like going for it <laughs> at like 7.30 a.m., you know. And uh, it somehow came to my attention that those were not extras, um, that they had just decided that uh, to get the location and I guess not pay that much money that they weren't closing the set. So this bar was an actual operating bar where the locals were there. And not only were they there just to like, have a beer they were there because they were told that there was going to be a strip club scene shot at their local bar <laughs> so the kind of degenerates we're talking about are the kind that like plan ahead and <laughs> go to sleep early and know that they have to be up drinking early the next day it's so a, it's a complicated kind of degenerate who is that well planned but also drinking beer at 10 a.m. For me, the scariest. <laughs> the scariest <laughs> degenerate. Well-organized degenerate is the scariest. It's the scariest degenerate, yeah. So we get there and we're like, we're like, okay, this is weird. And then like some of the girls start coming up to like John and I because we're like 
two friendly young guys and they're like, you know, like, oh, they're saying that they want us to like have our clothes off for the scene or whatever, you know? And I was like, and at that point, like I had not been part of any of that. You know, I know that when you see the movie that definitely it is like a B movie. But at that point, I did not know that what it was. <laughs> so we're like, oh, wow, that's weird, you know. And then they're like, like, kind of like, it's OK. Like, I don't mind doing it for work or whatever. But like those people are at the bar. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that either. So there was this weird like near coup that happened which was like the first like super tense thing of the day. And they, they were like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to like ask them to sit on the far side of the bar. And then we're just going to put like they, whoever poor people that were grips on this thing or whatever, they put up a, um, like a giant black curtain over the bar so that like these girls could come out and be on the stage and the bar could not see what was happening on the stage only they didn't have enough fabric to go the whole way <laughs> so all of the locals just like shimmied over to the left hand side of the bar where they could fully see what was going on um so that that was like the the big tension of the day and when i talk about like where i'm like we could have gotten out of this like <laughs> at that point john and i were like hey um where are we like, how do we get back to that train that took us here? You know what I mean? And then we're like, where's that van? Can we get that van back? Because, like, we don't want to be a part of this movie if, like, these girls are being, like, you know, used in that way. And uh, and then we basically were like, we either start walking from, we think we're in Newark. We really don't know. And uh, or we're like, or we just, like, suck this thing up and, like, do it and just try to forget about it which is we went with the latter because that's the coward's approach <laughs> well, well in your defense rick also had the same he was at that shoot too he was at on that day he was in the oh he was in my scene and he yes and he mentioned that exact thing of these guys hanging out and everything you described yeah and he said he said you know we were all of us so new to anything related to show business that we didn't realize we could just bounce that it was not going to ruin our reputation in the business. It was not going to have any effect at all. And we should just cut bait and run. But none of us really thought about it. It was a combination, you know, for me, it was a combination of misguided determination <laughs> as well as that sense of obligation and also, you know, what I don't want the consequences if I just bail on this. I don't know what this guy's capable of doing like legally will he come after me with some cheap lawyer and then i'm out 800 bucks because i had to hire somebody to fight you yeah. know what i mean any yeah. of that i stuff. signed a one dollar contract yeah who knows how much he could come after me for one dollar <laughs> <laughs> made him so much money on me yeah um yeah so that 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 was the that was the thing and then and then eventually i was just like i feel like they did a they had like um like a producer or a PA who was like a quick talker who like definitely felt us freaking out and was like, Hey guys, this is going to be cool. Like whatever, like don't worry about it. You know? And we were just like, basically like the scene came fast enough that we 
hadn't left. So we we're like, we're still here. We might as well do it. So basically my costume is that I'm wearing like, like no shirt and just like overalls, like hillbilly gym, WWF. I don't know. Um, so we go in there and, and we're, our scene is at the bar and we're trying to pick up this girl. And right off the bat, I'm like, this girl who is like a super nice and beautiful girl is like completely like topless in front of me, which I'm like, any one of these people working like could have just said, hey, your scene's going to be with a topless girl. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Just like, just the little heads up on that would have changed a lot of things. Um, and this girl was like, absolutely 100% viewable to everybody at the bar while she was doing the scene. And these locals were in between takes were offering her like being like, like trying to do that smooth thing that you would do at a normal bar where like, they're like, buy a drink for that attractive young lady and say it's for me. <laughs> but nobody else is in the bar. It's 11 a.m. And she is the only one who is topless directly in front of you. And this girl was like creeped out. And the bartender was like, kind of like, going through the motions of doing it. Like, cause there was like a literally a bartender working because the bar was open. It was not somebody who was like working on the set. She was like, I remember she was just like, yeah, so he wants to buy you a drink. And the girl was like, no, no, like, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. So, uh, yeah. So basically what our scene ended up being was that they were like, you, we, we just want you hitting on this girl. Like, relentlessly and i don't it was definitely was not one of the hotties it was not one of the hotties and i have not watched this movie in definitely 15 years so you might be able to tell me better than i could say myself but um i i I think what it was they they were like you're hitting on this girl and then the hotties come in and like break it up and like kick your ass basically um but while we were doing that scene because you have to remember that it's an improvised film that they were just like, okay, your bit is that you're like hot for this girl and you really want to have sex with her. And you're like, you're going to do whatever you can to like make that happen. Like in this hillbilly characters that have been like bludgeoned over the head <laughs> so that they have like no brain capacity left. And I'm like, okay, great. That's what I'm doing. So my buddy and I, John, were like, oh, oh, we don't want to do this, you know? Like, So we're like, hey, you know, like we're playing these like dumb characters and we're like, hey, we think that you're pretty attractive, you know? Like, <laughs> and they're like, the both the, the Lee, the director, and the co-writer, who's a woman, were both extras at the bar behind us. And they start like screaming at us across the bar, essentially what it was for the, for the audition. And they're like, make it, make it more sex, you know, (laughs) basically like just yelling more that they wanted it like more graphic, you know? And we're like, we want to have love with you. We want to take you to the barn. You know, like we're like doing like whatever we think is like the, PG thirteen version, yeah, <laughs> or even just anything that could possibly be funny, yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. We're like, we're not trying to be like gross, and I'm like, 
like aesthetics wise, you know, I mean, I, I'm not, not going to speak for anyone else, but for myself, I was like, I like, you know, in an improv show, I've definitely done some very like tawdry stuff where you're like, Oh, this is what it calls for, you know? But I'm like, in my, in my professional life, I'm artistically, I'm like, I don't want to be saying these like graphic things that are going to like come back and haunt me when I'm like getting my Oscar, which is like something that's definitely still probably going to happen. Yeah, it's on the horizon. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, you, you heard, right? <laughs> There's a difference between goofing around in a midnight show in a black box theater for 20 people in the audience on a right. Wednesday or Thursday night. <laughs> There's a difference between right. that and shooting something that's going to be on film. And while it's not, readily available i believe you can potentially order it on amazon i think <laughs> like, so <laughs> like, it's possible to maybe get like there's probably the delivery time is like nine weeks because i'll have to yeah rip one more copy by hand <laughs> yeah there's a big difference I, I remember it when i was shooting my scenes trying to do things that were moderately drier moderately subtler kinds of humor little weird funny things and it was a constant battle of Lee, who has no sense of humor. And by that, I mean, literally, he can't sense what humor is. <laughs> his, oh, his, his humor sensor is gone. Yeah, That's him just is. shouting out the most blatantly obvious thing. It's the office party humor where I said the opposite of what's true. That's hilarious. Well, not really. I said something that's really loud and crazy that's hilarious it takes more than that you know and so he would be just be shouting these things out to me and after the pretty deep into it probably the fourth or fifth day i started to to push back a little bit where i was saying hey man you basically want me to improvise so stop telling me what to say if you want to tell me what to say write it down and give me a script but don't keep doing this and of course he kept doing it just yeah that's how that's how he makes a Lee Sobel film. The Sobelverse is created this way. The Sobelverse. Crafted. <laughs> uh, we both also joked about um, how shooting Hotties 1 and 2 simultaneously was the Peter... He's the oh Peter God. Jackson of exploitation movies. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I wish he'd taken me to New Zealand. That's the only thing. <laughs> I would have had a harder time getting the path back from <laughs> New Zealand, though. <laughs> Oh, let me just tell you. Let me, because this is the this is the dumbest part of it, uh, and is the only thing that saves me in this world, is that the writer and Lee were so they were being so aggressive about like how they wanted it to be more sexual and you know for their vision for hotties, and uh, I guess at some point John or I or both of us started using. Um, uh, farm puns <laughs> as a way out and so it began and that was like they didn't like it but they kind of got to the point where they're like this is all these guys are going to do but it was like I want to rub your tomatoes you know and I was like I want to stick my zucchini in your peaches you know like just different stuff like that and I was just like let me just rain down on them with all <laughs> all these vegetable and fruit and like farm humor that i can because i'm like in my world i'm like at least thematically that makes sense other than just these like two idiots just being like aggressive like 
potential rapists you know what i mean well you're trying to play a game of some kind you you've had the ucb classes right and you're trying to find the thing that is consistent with the character and what are his frame of references and all of that sort of thing that keeps something you know gives you some parameters to find something funny yeah absolutely and they don't understand that because they're the kind of people who are quote funny unquote at the office when everybody's at the Christmas party and had, and had five drinks and they think that that's hilarious what they're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I remember specifically that the, the female writer of it was like, guys, I can do something sexier than that. And I'm a girl or something like, that. <laughs> you know, like this kind of like shaming on it, you know, and we're just like, fuck you. This is what we're doing right now. And we cannot wait to get the hell out of here. Well, one lesson from that is, is when you're shooting a movie, don't give them anything that they can use if you don't want them to use it. You know, that's the thing. If you ever shoot anything else, you know, you hear these stories of actors who get kind of, the director will say, well, do it, well, let's try it this way. And they just absolutely won't because they know that they'll use that version of it and they disagree with it artistically. So they just don't give it to them. So they don't have it. And so that's the lesson there is just, you know, I'm going to keep doing farm puns. And if you want something else, go hire somebody else. Yeah. I think that they were like, they saw their, essentially saw their like location shutting down. You know what I mean? Cause they were like, shit, we have to shoot a lot more women with their tops off that don't want to. Um, and we need this location to, to match or whatever. And uh, yeah. So, so basically afterwards they, uh, we got that van came back magically um when we needed it to and uh we got we got into the city and i remember this is a reference just for you pretty much james or anybody who was in the uh in the comedy scene or whatever where we went to the bull moose bull moose saloon on uh what was it like 46 44th and um we went in there and we just like started drinking like in an unhealthy way right off. Like we are just like, I'm ne- I've never been like a liquor guy that much. And I'm not like a shots person. And like, we were like shots and beers next, next, next. And just like rehashing the entire experience and being like, are we insane? That was awful. Are we culpable in any sort of criminal way? Yeah. <laughs> is there, is there any way we can get out of this $1 contract? <laughs> So then once it finished shooting, did you go see it? Because I was kind of real curious to see myself on a movie screen of any kind, but I did not want to be around any of those people ever again. And so I snuck in late. The movie had started, you know, 10 minutes prior, and I stayed long enough to see myself in one scene on a movie screen in a movie theater and then snuck back out. Were you, what was your feeling? Were you appalled? Yeah, it was terrible. The movie yeah. was terrible. <laughs> And it's, you know, I have a friend of mine from college who went on to do, he was a production and engineering major, and he went on to do audio for feature films. He and I were once talking about the different movies he's made, and he'd been on films with famous, notable people. And he said something to me that always stood out, which was, if a movie doesn't look great, but it sounds great, people can still watch it. But the reverse is not true. And in Hotties, that movie sounds terrible because all they used for any of it was a boom mic sort of 
vaguely placed where people should be. I don't think we had lavalier mics at any point. And when you watch the DVD, it, the sound is terrible. You can't understand what's being said. I'm, I'm guessing that you went into with Rick the, the history of Lee Sobel, right? The only history that I know about Lee Sobel is recently on doing a search on YouTube for anything hotties related to see like how far does this go out there? You know, how culpable am I for my appearance in hotties? Uh, he has some sort of really awkward self-promotional video about how he's now a literary agent. And I believe it's from a few years ago. It's if you can find it pretty easy, just YouTube search for Lee Sobel and it's pretty cringy. Uh, apparently his dad was a literary agent and now he's doing it. And he talked about somebody wrote a book that was a mystery and he took, he got his hands on it and turned it into a thriller suspense thing. And now it's a bestseller or something. And I just thought you signed this person for a dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they are wondering how they can get home from Newark. That's about all I know. Other than the fact that he also was, a, and again, this could be just from him, but a respected rockabilly DJ. Yeah, he had a weird thing with rockabilly where he did some rockabilly vampire movie before he did Hotties. That might have been the trauma title. Yeah. I think that might have been the one that he did under there. Yeah, because remember he dressed all sort of rockabilly? Oh, yeah. yeah and he had definitely. that pompadour and just so bizarre. Yeah. Uh, has anybody ever, ever recognized you from Hotties? Oh, God, absolutely not. Does anybody <laughs> in the world ever know Hotties if it comes up in a conversation besides just those of us who suffered through being in it? I don't think so. I honestly don't think so. I'm, I, so here's my thing about it is that I did not go to that premiere. And my buddy John was like, was like i know you hated it but like lee's been calling me and he's like he you know he wants us all to be there like he thinks it'd be great you know and i was like oh no i shot that scene and i was like how do i distance myself fast enough from that thing i was like so I, there's zero chance that i'm going to that premiere or whatever so he went and he was in that like world of like i think that this could maybe turn into something or whatever. And then Lee was like, whenever the DVDs came out, I don't know if it was at the premiere or what, he was like bugging my friend John and being like, hey, you got to get BJ these DVDs. And I was like, I don't need those DVDs. <laughs> I'm good. I never will watch that. And I would prefer to not know that there's actual evidence of my performance. And uh, so I like was distancing myself very hard and a wonderful thing happened, which is that um, at the time that I did that, my, you know, my, my real name is Brendan and I go by BJ, but at the time, I think when I got that, that gig, can I say gig? We'll understand that it's in quotes. <laughs> uh, when I got it, I, I, uh, I was like I want to be a serious actor and serious actors need real names. So I was going by Brendan. So in the meantime, just completely separately, I was like, ah, why am I trying to be Brendan? I'm BJ. Everybody knows me as BJ. So I changed my name on IMDB and it caused it where he couldn't find me. And 
so then people were getting tagged in IMDb and I wasn't getting tagged and I was like, Oh, this is wonderful. And I looked it up at one point and it's like, it's like a, like a, a video effects guy for the fifth element is <laughs> named Brendan Gallagher. And he's saddled with that, oh. with that, <laughs> with that credit of being FUD. And hot. <laughs> <laughs> You just know he's been writing IMDb regularly, like every six months, every 10 months. Hey, guys, I'm not that same. And like, no, no, no. Yeah. We know you. Yeah. We know it's Hotties. We're getting a lot of these calls. Yeah, everybody from Hotties calls us about it. We can't. If we do it for you, we got to do it for everything. I felt so good. I was like, I was like, oh, my God, this is like so amazing. Like, is it, that's like if there is a... a a silver lining it was that that they couldn't peg me with that credit now now of course because i'm i'm speaking out finally i'm one of the survivors speaking out uh, they're gonna come for me yeah i gotta say in hearing your story about how much lee was trying to track you down and reach out to you you know he never followed up with me and i'm all over that movie i'm in multiple scenes and he just i'm nothing to him how dare he? How dare he? Does he not know I am the doc? <laughs> <laughs> you, and you owned that performance. In my one viewing of that movie, you owned it. <laughs> Listen, I rented that performance from Peter Sellers, <laughs> Eugene Levy, and John Candy. I rented it, I leased it, and then hey, turned it in. That's an Emmy award-winning stolen performance. <laughs> so what do you think the big lessons are from that? You know, if... Yeah, so say you're teaching an improv class or you're hanging out at an improv bar and some 25 to 27-year-old improver says, hey, what should I know? What are the big lessons you've extrapolated from from having gone through the gauntlet that is Hotties? The Hotties experience? Uh, I would definitely say, like, have more ownership over your artistic performance, you know? Uh and I would, and I think even more than that, I would say, uh, follow your gut. When you know that something is off, it typically is off. I had a different experience around the same time uh, where I did follow my gut, which is uh, a story for another time. But essentially, I was I was being looked at to be the lead in a play. And the director called me and left me a message while you and I were in Aspen, Colorado for the HBO Comedy Festival. Um, I remember I had read the script and I was like, this is not a script. <laughs> this is a historical play. <laughs> like it was like really thick. And I read this thing and I was like, this is craziness. And then the guy left me a voicemail while I was in Aspen and I listened to the voicemail and I got off the phone and I told Rebecca, I was like, I'm never going to do that thing because that person sounds like an insane person. And I followed my gut and I was like, even though like I was through channels, I was being asked to like go back in and, and audition for this guy for this part of this, you know, off, off Broadway play. Um, I was like, no way. And then later that guy was on the run and he had, done some awful things oh is this that guy who like murdered yep 
Yeah. Yeah. This that's is another like, story. Yeah. Yeah. That's another story. And I, wow. and that time I was like, it was, I'm not trying to intimate that, that Mr. Sobel <laughs> would do anything like that. He's a murderer. Yeah. He's yeah, a yeah, murderer yeah. of people's souls and of art. Yeah. 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 Definitely art. <laughs> but I was like in that, in that way, I was like in that choice, I was like, I can tell there's something wrong here and I need to not do this thing. And I had the same feeling coming out of hotties, but I was like, oh, it could be good. Like I had like voices in my ear that were saying, saying like, you know, otherwise. And this is like, you're like, no, a kid, when you're going through this stuff, even though you feel like you're like the lowest man on, you know, on the rung, you're like, no, you have some say. You always have some say over your artistic portrayal, especially when it's going to be something that's filmed. You know, I, um, I'm not like performing these days. So uh, at this point, it's like fun trivia more than anything else. Like I did bring it up when we had friends over recently and I was talking and, and I was like, this thing hotties. And like my wife's head kind of like flipped over and was like, oh, he's talking about it now. <laughs> like because it's something that has definitely been buried for a while. So I, you know, I, again, you know, when I get my, when I get my Oscar, you know, I might be, I might be thinking differently, but, uh, as for now, I'm like, yeah, it's a dumb thing that I did. I'm thankful that I was creative in how I handled that situation, uh, that I, that I don't have to feel like that utter regret of, you know, saying the things that they were trying to feed me to say, like that would have definitely been something I'd be like, oh, I feel awful as a person. But being creative and, and making those stupid farm puns makes it like uh, a silly story now, you know, 15 years later. Listen, when you get your Oscar or even an Emmy, you kind of now have to shout out to Lee Sobel. You should make the whole acceptance speech about him. Well, it was in that $1 contract, James. <laughs> <laughs> If you'd like to follow Jessica online, you can find her on Instagram at Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. And Elena is E-L-A-I-N-A, Jessica underscore Elena underscore Eason. You can follow me on Instagram at James underscore Eason underscore music. The show is produced and edited by me, James Eason, and the theme music is composed by... Me, James Eason.